Robinson Crusoe, Part 7. This recording, copyright Candlelight Stories, Inc., available at candlelightstories.com. Narrated by Alessandro Chima. A Candlelight Stories audio production. The Life and Strange Surprising Adventures of Robinson Crusoe of York, Mariner by Daniel Defoe This thought ran long in my head, and I was exceeding fond of it for some time, the pleasantness of the place tempting me. But when I came to a nearer view of it, and to consider that I was now by the seaside, where it was at least possible that something might happen to my advantage, and that the same ill fate that brought me hither might bring some other unhappy wretches to the same place, and though it was scarce probable that any such thing should ever happen, yet to enclose myself among the hills and woods in the centre of the island, was to anticipate my bondage, and to render such an affair not only improbable, but impossible, and that therefore I ought not by any means to remove. However, I was so enamoured of this place that I spent much of my time there, for the whole remaining part of the month of July, and though, upon second thoughts, I resolved, as above, not to remove, yet I built me a little kind of a bower, and surrounded it at a distance with a strong fence, being a double hedge, as high as I could reach, well staked and filled between with brushwood, and here I lay very secure, sometimes two or three nights together, always going over it with a ladder as before, so that I fancied now I had my country house and my sea-coast house and this work took me up to the beginning of August. I had but newly finished my fence, and began to enjoy my labor, but the rains came on, and made me stick close to my first habitation. For though I had made me a tent like the other, with a piece of a sail, and spread it very well, yet I had not the shelter of a hill to keep me from storms, nor a cave behind me to retreat into, when the rains were extraordinary. About the beginning of August, as I said, I had finished my bower, and began to enjoy myself. The third of August I found the grapes I had hung up were perfectly dried, and indeed were excellent good raisins of the sun. So I began to take them down from the trees, and it was very happy that I did so, for the rains which followed would have spoiled them, and I had lost the best part of my winter food, for I had above two hundred large bunches of them. No sooner had I taken them all down and carried most of them home to my cave, but it began to rain, and from thence, which was the fourteenth of August, it rained more or less every day till the middle of October, and sometimes so violently that I could not stir out of my cave for several days. In this season I was much surprised with the increase of my family. I had been concerned for the loss of one of my two cats, who ran away from me, or, as I thought, had been dead, and I heard no more tidings of her till, to my astonishment, she came home about the end of August with three kittens. This was the more strange to me, because though I had killed a wild cat, as I called it, with my gun, yet I thought it was a quite different kind from our European cats. Yet the young cats were the same kind of house-breed like the old one, and both my cats being females, I thought it very strange, but from these three cats I afterwards came to be so pestered with cats that I was forced to kill them like vermin or wild beasts, and to drive them from my house as much as possible." from the 14th of August to the 26th, incessant rain, so that I could not stir, and was now very careful not to be much wet. In this confinement I began to be straitened for food, but venturing out twice I one day killed a goat, and the last day, which was the 26th, found a very large tortoise, which was a treat to me, and my food was regulated thus. 
I ate a bunch of raisins for my breakfast, a piece of the goat's flesh or of the turtle for my dinner, broiled, for to my great misfortune I had no vessel to boil or stew anything, and two or three of the turtle's eggs for supper. During this confinement in my cover by the rain, I worked daily two or three hours at enlarging my cave, and, by degrees, worked it on towards one side, till I came to the outside of the hill and made a door or way out, which came beyond my fence or wall, and so I came in and out this way. But I was not perfectly easy at lying so open, for as I had managed myself before, I was in a perfect enclosure, whereas now I thought I lay exposed, and yet I could not perceive that there was any living thing to fear, the biggest creature that I had seen upon the island being a goat. September 30. I was now come to the unhappy anniversary of my landing. I cast up the notches on my post and found I had been on shore 365 days. I had kept this day as a solemn fast, setting it apart to a religious exercise, prostrating myself on the ground with the most serious humiliation, confessing my sins to God, acknowledging his righteous judgments upon me, and praying to him to have mercy on me through Jesus Christ, and having not tasted the least refreshment for twelve hours, even to the going down of the sun, I then ate a biscuit cake and a bunch of grapes, and went to bed, finishing the day as I began it. I had all this time observed no Sabbath day, for as at first I had no sense of religion upon my mind, I had after some time omitted to distinguish the weeks by making a longer notch than ordinary for the Sabbath day, and so did not really know what any of the days were. But now, having cast up the days as above, I found I had been there a year. So I divided it into weeks, and set apart every seventh day for a Sabbath, though I found at the end of my account I had lost a day or two in my reckoning. A little after this my ink began to fail me, and so I contented myself to use it more sparingly and to write down only the most remarkable events of my life without continuing a daily memorandum of other things. The rainy season and the dry season began now to appear regular to me, and I learned to divide them so as to provide for them accordingly. But I bought all my experience before I had it, and this I am going to relate was one of the most discouraging experiments that I made at all. I have mentioned that I had saved the few ears of barley and rice which I had so surprisingly found spring up, as I thought, of themselves, and believe there were about thirty stalks of rice and about twenty of barley, and now I thought it a proper time to sow it after the rains, the sun being in its southern position going from me. Accordingly, I dug up a piece of ground, as well as I could with my wooden spade, and dividing it into two parts, I sowed my grain. But as I was sowing, it casually occurred to my thought that I would not sow at all at first, because I did not know when was the proper time for it, so I sowed about two-thirds of the seeds, leaving about a handful of each. It was a great comfort to me afterwards that I did so, for not one grain of that I sowed this time came to anything, for the dry months following, the earth having had no rain after the seed was sown, it had no moisture to assist its growth, and never came up at all, till the wet season had come again, and then it grew as if it had been newly sown. Finding my first seed did not grow, which I easily imagined was by the drought, I sought for a moister piece of ground to make another trial in, and I dug up a piece of ground near my new bower and sowed the rest of my seed in February, a little before the vernal equinox, and this, having the rainy months of March and April to water it, sprung up very pleasantly, and yielded a very good crop, but having part of the seed left only, and not daring to sow all that I had yet, I had but a small quantity at last my whole crop not amounting to above half a peck of each kind. But by this experience I was made master of my business, 
and knew exactly when the proper season was to sow, and that I might expect two seed times and two harvests every year. While this corn was growing, I made a little discovery, which was of use to me afterwards. As soon as the rains were over and the weather began to settle, which was about the month of November, I made a visit up the country to my bower, where, though I had not been some months, yet I found all things just as I left them. The circle or double hedge that I had made was not only firm and entire, but the stakes which I had cut off of some trees that grew thereabouts were all shot out and grown with long branches, as much as a willow tree usually shoots the first year after lopping its head. I could not tell what tree to call it that these stakes were cut from. I was surprised, and yet very well pleased, to see the young trees grow, and I pruned them and led them to grow as much alike as I could, and it is scarce credible how beautiful a figure they grew into in three years, so that though the hedge made a circle of about twenty-five yards in diameter, yet the trees, for such I might now call them, soon covered it, and it was a complete shade, sufficient to lodge under all the dry season. This made me resolve to cut some more stakes, and make a hedge like this in a semicircle round my wall, I mean that of my first dwelling, which I did, and placing the trees or stakes in a double row at about eight yards distance from my first fence, they grew presently, and were at first a fine cover to my habitation, and afterwards served for a defense also, as I shall observe in its order. I found now that the seasons of the year might generally be divided not into summer and winter as in Europe, but into the rainy seasons and the dry seasons, which were generally thus. Half February, March, half April, rainy, the sun being then on or near the equinox. Half April, May, June, July, half August, dry, the sun being then to the north of the line. Half August, September, half October, rainy, the sun then being come back. Half October, November, December, January, half February, dry, the sun being then to the south of the line. The rainy season sometimes held longer or shorter as the winds happened to blow, but this was the general observation I made. After I had found, by experience, the ill consequences of being abroad in the rain, I took care to furnish myself with provisions beforehand that I might not be obliged to go out, and I sat within doors as much as possible during the wet months. In this time I found much employment, and very suitable also to the time, for I found great occasion for many things which I had no way to furnish myself with, but by hard labor and constant application. Particularly, I tried many ways to make myself a basket, but all the twigs I could get for the purpose proved so brittle that they would do nothing. It proved of excellent advantage to me now that when I was a boy, I used to take great delight in standing at a basket-maker's in the town where my father lived, to see them make their wickerware, and being, as boys usually are, very officious to help, and a great observer of the manner how they work those things, and sometimes lending a hand, I had by this means so full knowledge of the methods of it, that I wanted nothing but the materials. When it came into my mind that the twigs of that tree, from whence I cut my stakes that grew, might possibly be as tough as the sallows and willows and osiers in England, and I resolved to try. Accordingly, the next day I went to my country house, as I called it, and cutting some of the smaller twigs, I found them to my purpose as much as I could desire, whereupon I came the next time prepared with a hatchet to cut down a quantity which I soon found, for there was a great plenty of them. These I set up to dry within my circle or hedges, and when they were fit for use, I carried them to my cave, and here, during the next season, I employed myself in making, as well as I could, a great many baskets, both to carry earth, or to carry or lay up anything, as I had occasion, 
and though I did not finish them very handsomely, yet I made them sufficiently serviceable for my purpose, and thus, afterwards, I took care never to be without them. And as my wickerware decayed, I made more. Especially I made strong, deep baskets to place my corn in, instead of sacks, when I should come to have any quantity of it. Having mastered this difficulty, and employed a world of time about it, I bestirred myself to see, if possible, how to supply two wants. I had no vessels to hold anything that was liquid except two runlets, which were almost full of rum, and some glass bottles, some of the common size, and others which were case bottles, square for the holding of waters, spirits, etc. I had not so much as a pot to boil anything in, except a great kettle which I saved out of the ship, and which was too big for such uses as I desired for it, namely to make broth and stew a bit of meat by itself. The second thing I would fain have had was a tobacco pipe, but it was impossible for me to make one. However, I found a contrivance for that too at last. I employed myself in planting my second rows of stakes or piles, and in this wicker work all the summer or dry season, when another business took me up more time than it could be imagined I could spare. I mentioned before that I had a great mind to see the whole island, and that I had travelled up the brook and so on to where I built my bower, and where I had an opening quite to the sea on the other side of the island. I now resolved to travel quite across to the seashore on that side, so taking my gun and hatchet and my dog, and a larger quantity of powder and shot than usual, with two biscuit cakes and a great bunch of raisins in my pouch for my store, I began my journey. When I had passed the vale where my bower stood as above, I came within view of the sea to the west, and it being a very clear day, I fairly descried land, whether an island or continent I could not tell, but it lay very high, extending from the west to the west-southwest at a very great distance. By my guess, it could not be less than fifteen or twenty leagues off. I could not tell what part of the world this might be, otherwise than that I knew it must be part of America, and, as I concluded by all my observations, must be near the Spanish dominions, and perhaps was all inhabited by savages, where, if I should have landed, I had been in a worse condition than I was now, and therefore I acquiesced in the dispositions of Providence, which I began now to own and to believe, ordered everything for the best. I say I quieted my mind with this, and left afflicting myself with fruitless wishes of being there. Besides, after some pause upon this affair, I considered that if this land was the Spanish coast, I should certainly one time or other see some vessel pass or repass one way or other, but if not, then it was the savage coast between the Spanish country and Brazil, which is inhabited by the worst of savages, for they are cannibals, or man-eaters, and fail not to murder and devour all the human bodies that fall into their hands. With these considerations I walked very leisurely forward. I found that side of the island where I now was much pleasanter than mine, the open or savanna fields sweet, adorned with flowers and grass, and full of very fine woods. I saw abundance of parrots, and fain would I have caught one, if possible, to have kept it to be tame, and taught it to speak to me. I did, after some pains taken, catch a young parrot, for I knocked it down with a stick, and having recovered it, I brought it home. But it was some years before I could make him speak. However, at last, I taught him to call me by my name, very familiarly, but the accident that followed, though it be a trifle, will be very diverting in its place. I was exceedingly diverted with his journey. I found in the low grounds hares, as I thought them to be, and foxes, but they differed greatly from all other kinds I had met with, nor could I satisfy myself to eat them, though I killed several. 
But I had no need to be venturous, for I had no want of food, and of that which was very good, too, especially these three sorts, goats, pigeons, and turtle or tortoise, which, added to my grapes, Leadenhall Market could not have furnished a better table than I, in proportion to the company, and though my case was deplorable enough, yet I had great cause for thankfulness, that I was not driven to any extremities for food, but rather plenty, even to dainties. I never travelled in this country above two miles outright in a day or thereabouts, but I took so many turns and returns to see what discoveries I could make, that I came weary enough to the place where I resolved to sit down for all night, and then either reposed myself in a tree, or surrounded myself with a row of stakes set upright in the ground, either from one tree or another, or so as no wild creature could come at me without waking me. As soon as I came to the seashore, I was surprised to see that I had taken up my lot on the worst side of the island, for here indeed the shore was covered with innumerable turtles, whereas on the other side I had found but three in a year and a half. Here was also an infinite number of fowls of many kinds, some of which I had not seen before, and many of them very good meat, but such as I knew not the names of, except those called penguins. I could have shot as many as I pleased, but was very sparing of my powder and shot, and therefore had more mind to kill a she-goat, if I could, which I could better feed on. And though there were many more goats here than on the other side of the island, yet it was with much more difficulty that I could come near them, the country being flat and even, so that they saw me much sooner than when I was on the hills. I confess, this side of the country was much pleasanter than mine, but yet I had not the least inclination to remove, for, as I was fixed in my habitation, it became natural to me, and I seemed all the while I was here to be, as it were, upon a journey and from home. However, I travelled along the shore of the sea, toward the east, I suppose about twelve miles, and then setting up a great pole upon the shore for a mark, I concluded I would go home again, and the next journey I took should be on the other side of the island, east from my dwelling, and so round till I came to my post again, of which in its place. I took another way to come back than that I went, thinking I could easily keep all the islands so much in my view, that I could not miss finding my first dwelling by viewing the country. But I found myself mistaken. For being come about two or three miles, I found myself descended into a very large valley, but so surrounded with hills, and those hills covered with woods, that I could not see which was my way by any direction but that of the sun. Nor even then, unless I knew very well the position of the sun at that time of the day. It happened, to my farther misfortune, that the weather proved hazy for three or four days while I was in this valley, and not being able to see the sun, I wandered about very uncomfortably, and at last was obliged to find out the seaside, look for my post, and come back the same way I went, and then by easy journeys I turned homeward, the weather being exceeding hot, and my gun, ammunition, hatchet, and other things very heavy. In this journey my dog surprised a young kid, and seized upon it, and I, running to take hold of it, caught it, and saved it alive from the dog. I had a great mind to bring it home if I could, for I had often been musing whether it might not be possible to get a kid or two, and so raise a breed of tame goats, which might supply me when my powder and shot should be spent. I made a collar for this little creature, and with a string, which I made of some rope yarn, which I always carried about me, I led him along, though with some difficulty, till I came to my bower, and there I enclosed him and left him, for I was very impatient to be at home, from whence I had been absent above a month. I cannot express what a satisfaction it was to me to come into my old hutch, 
and lie down in my hammock bed. This little wandering journey, without a settled place of abode, had been so unpleasant to me that my own house, as I called it to myself, was a perfect settlement to me compared to that, and it rendered everything about me so comfortable that I resolved that I would never go a great way from it again, while it should be my lot to stay on the island. I reposed myself here a week to rest and regale myself after my long journey, during which most of the time was taken up in the weighty affair of making a cage for my pole, who began now to be a mere domestic, and to be mighty well acquainted with me. Then I began to think of the poor kid which I had pent in within my little circle, and resolved to go and fetch it home, and give it some food. Accordingly I went, and found it where I left it, for indeed it could not get out, but was almost starved for want of food. I went and cut boughs of trees and branches of some shrubs as I could find, and threw over to it, and having fed it, I tied it as I did before to lead it away. But it was so tame with being hungry that I had no need to have tied it, for it followed me like a dog, and as I continually fed it, the creature became so loving, so gentle, and so fond, that it became from that time one of my domestics also, and would never leave me afterwards. The rainy season of the autumnal equinox was now come, and I kept the 30th of September in the same solemn manner as before, being the anniversary of my landing on the island, having now been there two years, and no more prospect of being delivered than the first day I came there. I spent the whole day in humble and thankful acknowledgments of the many wonderful mercies which my solitary condition was attended with, and without which it might have been infinitely more miserable. I gave humble and hearty thanks that God had been pleased to discover to me even that it was possible I might be more happy in this solitary condition than I should have been in society and in all the pleasures of the world, that he could fully make up to me the deficiencies of my solitary state and the want of human society by his presence and the communications of his grace to my soul, supporting, comforting, and encouraging me to depend upon his providence here and hope for his eternal presence hereafter. Before, as I walked about, either on my hunting or for viewing the country, the anguish of my soul at my condition would break upon me on a sudden, and my very heart would die within me, to think of the woods, the mountains, the deserts I was in, and how I was a prisoner, locked up with the eternal bolts and bars of the ocean, in an uninhabited wilderness, without redemption. In the midst of the greatest composures of my mind, this would break out upon me like a storm, and make me wring my hands and weep like a child. Sometimes it would take me in the middle of my work, and I would immediately sit down and sigh, and look down upon the ground for an hour or two together. And this was still worse to me, for if I could burst out into tears or vent myself by words, it would go off and the grief having exhausted itself would abate. But now I began to exercise myself with new thoughts. I daily read the word of God and applied all the comforts of it to my present state. One morning, being very sad, I opened the Bible upon these words, I will never, never leave thee nor forsake thee. Immediately it occurred that these words were to me. Why else should they be directed in such a manner, just at the moment when I was mourning over my condition, as one forsaken of God and man? Well then, said I, if God does not forsake me, of what ill consequence can it be, or what matters it, though the world should all forsake me? Seeing, on the other hand, if I had all the world, 
and should lose the favor and blessing of God, there would be no comparison in the loss. I never opened the Bible or shut it, but my very soul within me blessed God for directing my friend in England, without any order of mine, to pack it up among my goods, and for assisting me afterwards to save it out of the wreck of the ship. In this disposition of mind I began my third year, and though I have not given the reader the trouble of so particular an account of my works this year as at the first, yet in general it may be observed that I was very seldom idle, having regularly divided my time according to the several daily employments that were before me, such as first my duty to God and reading the scriptures, which I constantly set apart some time for, thrice every day, Secondly, the going abroad with my gun for food, which generally took me up three hours every morning when it did not rain. Thirdly, the ordering, curing, preserving, and cooking what I had killed or caught for my supply. These took up a great part of the day. Also, it is to be considered that in the middle of the day the violence of the heat was too great to stir out, so that about four hours in the evening was all the time I could be supposed to work in with this exception that sometimes I changed my hours of hunting and working, and went to work in the morning, and abroad with my gun in the afternoon. To this short time allowed for labor, I desire may be added the exceeding laboriousness of my work, the many hours which, for want of tools, want of help, and want of skill, everything that I did took up out of my time. For example, I was full two and forty days, making me a board for a long shelf, which I wanted in my cave, whereas two sawyers, with their tools and saw-pit, would have cut six of them out of the same tree in half a day. My case was this. It was to be a large tree which was to be cut down because my board was to be a broad one. The tree I was three days a-cutting down, and two more cutting off the boughs and reducing it to a log or piece of timber. With inexpressible hacking and hewing, I reduced both sides of it into chips till it began to be light enough to move. Then I turned it, and made one side of it smooth and flat as a board, from end to end. Then, turning that side downward, cut the other side, till I brought the plank to be about three inches thick and smooth on both sides. Anyone may judge the labor of my hands in such a piece of work, but labor and patience carried me through that and many other things. I was now in the months of November and December, expecting my crop of barley and rice. The ground I had manured or dug up for them was not great, for as I observed, my seed of each was not above the quantity of half a peck, for I had lost one whole crop by sowing in the dry season. But now my crop promised very well, when on a sudden I found I was in danger of losing it all, again, by enemies of several sorts, which it was scarce possible to keep from it. At first, the goats and wild creatures which I called hares, which, tasting the sweetness of the blade, lay in it night and day, as soon as it came up, and ate it so close that it could get no time to shoot up into stalks. This I saw no remedy for, but by making an enclosure about it with a hedge, which I did with a great deal of toil, and the more because it required a great deal of speed, the creatures daily spoiling my corn. However, as my arable land was but small, suited to my crop, I got it totally well fenced in about three weeks' time, and shooting some of the creatures in the daytime, I set my dog to guard it in the night tying him up to a stake at the gate, where he would stand and bark all night long. So in a little time the enemies forsook the place, and the corn grew very strong and well, and began to ripen apace. But as the beasts ruined me before, while my corn was in the blade, so the birds were as like to ruin me now, when it was in the ear. 
for going along by the place to see how it throve, I saw my little crop surrounded with fowls of I know not how many sorts, which stood, as it were, watching till I should be gone. I immediately let fly among them, for I always had my gun with me, and I had no sooner shot, but there arose up a little cloud of fowls, which I had not seen at all, from among the corn itself. This touched me sensibly, for I foresaw that in a few days they would devour all my hopes, that I should be starved and never be able to raise a crop at all, and what to do I could not tell. However, I resolved not to lose my corn, if possible, though I should watch it night and day. In the first place, I went among it to see what damage was already done, and found they had spoiled a good deal of it, but that as it was yet too green for them, the loss was not so great, but the remainder was like to be a good crop, if it could be saved. I stayed by it to load my gun, and then coming away I could easily see the thieves sitting upon all the trees about me, as if they only waited till I was gone away, and the event proved it to be so, for as I walked off, as if I was gone, I was no sooner out of their sight, but they dropped down one by one into the corn again. I was so provoked that I could not have patience to stay till more came on, knowing that every grain that they ate now was, as it might be said, a peck-loaf to me in the consequence. But coming up to the hedge, I fired again and killed three of them. This was what I wished for. So I took them up and served them. And as we serve notorious thieves in England, that is, hang them in chains, for a terror to others. It is almost impossible to imagine that this should have such an effect as it had, for the fowls would not only not come at the corn, but in short, they forsook all that part of the island, and I could never see a bird near the place as long as my scarecrows hung there. This I was very glad of, you may be sure, and about the latter end of December, which was our second harvest of the year, I reaped my corn. Candlelight Stories Audio Production. 